Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. Christie's is holding its first Art and Technology Summit on July 17th. The subject of the day-long conference is Art in the Blockchain, and Elliot Safra, one of the organizers, is here to explain it all for us. Elliot Safra, thank you for taking some time with me. Thank you for the time. So you are about to launch a uh, art and technology conference at Christie's in July this summer in London. Your first subject matter is uh, the blockchain. But before we get to that conference, can you tell me a little bit about why Christie's is promoting the idea of art and technology? I think technology is the topic that everyone's discussing in every industry. I think traditionally you look at the art world and maybe it has not been the most innovative of businesses. Um, In the past couple of years, I think people are starting to realize that we need to catch up. What what the implications of that catch up means, means a lot of different things, a lot of different people. I think at Christie's we have a vision or we're working on a vision, but I'm, I don't, but the conference is not about accomplishing that vision. What we want to do at the conference is open a conversation. We are one of the big players in the art world. Um, there is no big player that's saying, let's talk about art and tech. We view this summit, this is an annual summit, as you mentioned, um, to be a point where all key players in the art world, big, small, um, anyone with an interest can come to one place and discuss what's going on and what the future can look like. So it's not just the way technology improves the uh, the selling function or uh, the auction business. It's really a broader, more uh, disinterested, if I can uh, say that, look at how uh, art and technology, or maybe better phrased as how technology can improve the art world. Correct. I think the the market, the auctions is one part of it, but not at all the main part. Um, we're looking at how technology can affect artists, how, to, how artists are using um, these new technologies as a medium in and of itself. The art market is an interesting aspect. It's the aspect that everyone loves to talk about and put in newspapers, but I think a very small part of it. And it's not because Christie's is, is, is hosting it that we're only going to focus on auctions and on, and on the art market. Again, we want to put ourselves in a place whereby we can facilitate the conversation for all the players in the market, from galleries to artists to auction houses to up-and-coming companies that are interested in, in the subject. Tell me a little bit about the blockchain subject matter itself. I, I assume you chose that because it's the, the sort of topic of the moment. Everyone's talking about it. Or why, why, why should we not? No, I think this past year, um, news has been breaking left and right about blockchain. Um, and in so many different industries. So I think when I, when, I mean, when everyone started kind of looking deeper into it and realized the implications of blockchain within the art world, we realized that this was huge, potentially huge. What those effects were, weren't always clear. I think the perfect example is Bernadine Brocker-Weeder, who is running this conference with me. She is uh, from Vastari, and they are co- co-partners in this, uh, co-curators in this conference. When I asked her, really, you know, what is the best resource to look up um, what blockchain is doing with the art market, she kind of looked at me and she said, well, 
they're not they're not many. I mean, you really you have to Google and you have to go to many different websites to really have a comprehensive look of, at what's happening. Um, we figured we could we could try and solve that. So this is a bit of a tour of the waterfront, a chance to get an overview of the competing visions of how blockchain and the art market interact with each other. I think we want to achieve two things with our summit. I think the first thing is exactly as you said, to give an overarching vision, an overarching tour of what's going on, what's happening, and what the future could look like. The second thing is hopefully by getting all these thought leaders, companies, visionaries, technologists within a room to discuss the subject, hopefully you come up with some creative ideas that hadn't been thought of before. You hope it'll be sort of like a working conference that either in the hallways or on the panels, there will be some cross-pollination that might uh, move the ball forward in how the blockchain gets applied to the art world. The summit is really the tip of the iceberg. I think I want to have an incredible summit. I want to have an incredible conference with incredible speakers. But I think the question then becomes, where do you take it from there? Right? An annual conference is one thing, but how can you really leverage this, this, this group of people, leverage this forum to start as you said, cross-pollinating and creating new ideas from that. There's a lot of people talking about this, the art and tech space in general, and you know they're seeing all of a sudden one of the big players get into the con- get get into this kind of not a business, but get start hosting a conference with all these players. They're saying actually, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of power here. There's a lot of intellectual rigor. How can we capitalize on that, and how can we do that? In, in other locations, in other times of the year, maybe on a smaller scale, maybe in, in different working groups. Now, your role in the company is not in the technology field. It's not. I work in the UK chairman's office. I studied business and I come from management consulting and private equity background, not the traditional auction house background. What I do in the chairman's office is I try to create programs and systems within the company that will help the company and the people within the company leverage their networks of people networks of people that we have a hard time tapping into. The Art and Tech Conference is a perfect example of that, right? We've all been talking about these these Silicon Valley tech stars for so many, so many, so many years. Um, they all have tons and tons of money, and how do we get them to start buying art? And we've been inviting them to our events, and we've been trying to make contact with them with more or less success. But I think we've always kind of struggled, because if you're a technologist, if you're if you're you know, if you don't have a background in art, what is really going to be, you know, what, what is going to attract you? Why, why, what's going to bring you to the auction house or to a gallery? What's going to be that lynch, linchpin moment that makes you realize, actually, this is really incredible? We haven't had that. We'll hopefully open up the dialogue in their language. So say, look, you guys know all about blockchain. Now come talk, about, talk to us about how blockchain is going to affect the art world. And hopefully that'll be an entry point to start having discussions not only about art and tech within the greater ecosystems, but then also personally art for themselves. Talk to me a little bit more since the conference is, is both about exploring the uh, technology and art, but you, you just described, I thought very well, that it's also about engaging the interests of other people that you want to uh, draw in and learn more about the, uh, you know, cultural objects that uh, interest them. It could be, you know, uh, classic cars or, uh, you know, uh, rare books or whatever it is uh, that um, uh, gets them excited. Are there other ways that you can see to get beyond sort of uh, doing a technology conference to uh, engage uh, uh, sort of different groups and they don't have to be American or European? 
So I think that question can fall into two answers. I think one within the tech community, um, and that I think we can talk about a little bit. Um, I think there's another question which is within a wider community how to how to how to kind of structure that. Um, so the Art and Tech Summit is, is is one of the big initiatives that I took on this year. Something that I started doing last year is something for lawyers, bankers, real estate people working in the, in the real estate property markets. So. There's tons of institutions that exist. You have all the bulge bracket banks, you have all the top law firms. And very often, we approach these institutions and look at their clients and say, look, you guys deal with the world's top clients, help us leverage those connections. What I really started being interested in, if you're, the, if you're a 35-year-old investment banker, you're making a significant amount of disposable income per year. Um, and a lot of the time, you have no idea. You have no idea that Christie's or Sotheby's sells things for a thousand pounds or five thousand pounds or ten thousand pounds. You have no idea that you can buy a Patek Philippe from us or you can buy a handbag or you can buy some jewelry. Um, so one of the things that I really started doing is starting to say that I, that I started doing is started to try and educate this this group of people. So very simplistically, what that meant is I started creating a monthly lecture series, six six uh, sessions per year. Um, so, so two seasons, um, and it was called All Access, it is called All Access, A Guide to Unraveling the Art World. Um, and it's basically, it's not Christie's education, it's not, this is the art historical aspect of, of, of what we do, and this is not, um, it's not in depth, it's about the practicalities. It's what's the difference between an auction house, an art fair, and an art gallery. You know, why would you buy one and not the other? It's how to bid at auction, how to read a catalog, what does an estimate mean? You don't know how many times I have bankers or lawyers or, or just friends in general telling me, so does the estimate mean that the, the, you know, the price needs to be sold between those two? No. Things that we take for granted in the art market are not always so obvious to the wider ecosystem. And it, it does uh, occur to me that there's a big gap in um, sort of bringing in the, the, the new uh, clients in that we're, we're having trouble figuring out how to engage them because uh, they usually come of their own accord. You know, there's, there, there's every generation, and by generation I mean five years, <laughs> there seems to be a whole new group that shows up um, usually because, you know, from a different part of the world, they've uh, made a great deal of mo money, they've seen what's going on and they want to participate. And as many people remark, it, in recent years, people start higher and higher in the market. Uh, they make their first purchase as a significant one rather than sort of wading in, trying out, uh, you know, buying a drawing or a work on paper and, and slowly building up. They tend to go the other way around, want to buy something big and uh, usually uh, substantial, whatever their means is, but relative to their means, substantial as the first thing uh, that they do. Is, is, is that what you sort of see happening with some of these, um, you know, the bankers and the lawyers and, uh, and so forth? Well, no, I think, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think it's exactly that. I'm trying to do, trying to counteract exactly what you're saying. Um, I think you're right. A lot of times in the art world, you see the first big purchase being a significant one. That doesn't have to be the case. I think you can build a strong core market and you can, you know, start. I'm very happy if they're buying 1,000 pounds or 2,000 pounds or 5,000 pounds. 
um, because at least all of a sudden they're interested. You know, it, it brings them in. And so even if they never become a big buyer, a lot of times I think we disqualify these 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 one thousand, five thousand, ten thousand pound purchases. And I think, I don't know. I think it's a bit silly sometimes. You know, you have to build that core um, and not just rely on on your top spenders. And do you see uh, in those? Um professional services uh, uh, people that you're dealing with a particular interest I, I, I know you mentioned handbags which is uh, you know a, a world that's only been opened up re- recently and there is um, you know this sort of luxury uh, uh, vintage th- thing that's been, been going on but is it the is it the watches and the sort of consumable uh, items that aren't really consumable uh, items or is it uh, some other aspect of the you know so i think luxury is a very easy entry point because all these people have a familiarity with the luxury products whether they're watches or handbags or jewelry it's less new to them they probably bought a watch they probably bought a handbag they probably bought jewelry just not at an auction house or or in, or in a slightly different setting. So I think generally that's an easy way to get them in. It's not what fascinates them. I think they realize actually this is great, I can get a good deal on a nice watch and this is amazing. But I think what keeps them coming to my thing, to, to, to my series month to month, is this beautiful art or beautiful objects or beautiful books or beautiful whatever it may be. Things that they have experienced less of. That's not to say that it's easy to get them to start investing in that but i think it shouldn't be i think i'm just starting you know it's you're not gonna you're not gonna make someone a collector in six months but if you slowly start showing them maybe over the course of one year two years three years four years you'll start developing their sense of the market their sense of the objects their sense of what they actually like and an aspiration nothing makes you want something better than having bought something good and then realize that there are better things uh, out there if you're happy with the first thing you bought you'll usually want to buy more not uh, feel satisfied and never uh, come back so um to, to come back to the conference, uh, is the conference is meant to attract people in tech. I'm assuming it's also to attract people like the the professional uh, uh, services people, the the lawyers and and uh, insurance people and um, bankers that you uh, mentioned. Totally, I think the the, the attendees kind of split up into three separate groups. And not really separate, but separate, but with overlaps. Um, one is these tech people who are just interested in the art market within the tech realm. If you're an art and tech company, you have to come to our conference. It's it's not a question. And you're right. There are a lot of new companies starting around, uh, certainly around the blockchain idea, but around art and tech. Tons. And I was surprised to, to see how many. And not only that, but surprised to see how many even in Europe. I mean, you would say, yeah, Silicon Valley, America, no problem. We have companies coming from Singapore, from Italy, from from the UK, from Paris, from Switzerland, really uh, globally. Um, so I think this is one 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 aspect. The second one is the professional industry, um, professional industries that you mentioned. So finance, lawyers, um, people who are who have seen this market for, and I'm putting this in quotes, you can't see it, but um, art is an investment. We're saying, look, art is reaching all time high. Um, all-time highs. There is money to be made in this. Let's go see some non-traditional ways of where where we might want to be involved. Um, so I think there's definite interest in that kind of arena. Um, 
And I think the third is just kind of collectors or people who have been participating in the market or, or collectors or st staff from auction houses. We've sold tickets to all our competitors. I think people who have participated in it all of a sudden want to see, okay, this is really interesting. Where can it go? Where's the future? So maybe it's helpful if I give you just a broad overview about the conference, the day of the conference. It's 9 to 6.30 um, and then networking drinks. So it's a full day thing. We start from a very macro level. So we start really to try and get everyone on the same page if you're not there yet with what is blockchain. And we have Leanne Kemp from Everledger who's incredible and who's going to kind of come and give a small keynote explaining what exactly blockchain is. Then we'll have a panel about blockchain uses within wider industries. There's a lot of people who don't know that blockchain is already actively being used in many industries in many ways. So I think to kind of set the scenes, you want to start talking about blockchain uses in, in the wine industry, in the diamond industry, practicalities of things that are already happening. We then go into a very nice debate on is blockchain the holy grail? And this is a particular favorite of mine because everyone talks about blockchain, 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 blockchain. Is it the only solution? I think there's quite convincing arguments for both sides, but uh, it'll be a good way to set the scene. And then we go into the afternoon sessions. The afternoon sessions are really about blockchain within an art context. And we kind of split that up into three main topics. The first one is all about digital art. So it's all about companies trying to create marketplaces or ecosystems where artists can sell digital art, so war, uh, art that is, doesn't have physical representations, and how to make sure that they're getting paid adequately and that, they're that there's visibility for their market, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The second one is all about the greater art market ecosystem. And so that's all about companies trying to create title registries, trying to create this future where you, know, you might have a possibility of scanning a barcode on the back of a painting and it will display the provenance, the condition, where the picture has been exhibited. It's attaching information to a physical object. The third panel is all about fractionalization, tokenization of things. So the simple example that I always use is great. So you want to invest in a million dollar Picasso, you don't have a million pounds or a million dollars. Now we have a solution that will let you invest in a share of it. So you know, invest in 10% and as the value of the Picasso goes up, your share will go up as well. There's three, those are three very, very, very different applications, very different use cases, and I think all very interesting in their, own, in their own regard. So that's kind of the focus on the afternoon. In the end, we have a last panel with kind of thought leaders. We have Hansel Richobrist um, from the Serpentine. We have Ed Vesey, former uh, member of parliament, minister of culture and technology. Just kind of important thought leaders um, kind of opining on their thoughts on the day. Lastly, I think, this is all interspersed with what we're calling tech talks, which are just interesting asides or interesting discussions about things that I think wouldn't fit into the program elsewhere. But so, for example, we have Kevin Abosh, who was profiled in the New York Times uh, front page of the art section a couple of weeks ago, um, an artist that's actually using blockchain as a medium. Um, we have Artsy talking about, you know, they're one of the biggest digital art players in the world, what they're doing. Um, we have Deloitte um, talking about um, their past experiences with art and blockchain. We have uh, Jonathan Cooley, who's a partner from Clifford and Chance, uh, Clifford Chance, speaking about um, blockchain and regulation, you know, what that could mean from a legal perspective. So that's kind of overarchingly what 
um, we're showcasing at the conference. And I think it's a lot of <laughs> it's a lot of material. That's a long day. It's, <laughs> you'll you'll need a sandwich and a drink afterwards. There we go. And we'll be providing the best sandwiches and the best drinks. So do come along. I, that that may be the perfect place to to uh, uh, stop. Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. Thank you.